Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. How a business performs is almost always dependent on how their people perform. And whether it's driving productivity, managing underperformance, retaining your high performers, or building strategies and environments where the organization's people can thrive, HR teams and leaders know all too well how substantial but important this area of business is. And today we're joined by someone who is no stranger to high performance, both in the sporting and corporate world, former professional rugby player, Leinster's most capped player, multiple Six Nations winner with Ireland, and now head of partnerships at Fairstone Asset Management, and as Paul, the brilliant Devon Toner. Thanks for joining us, Devon. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yep. Brilliant stuff. Looking forward to the chat. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks. Delighted to have you here, Devon. Brilliant stuff. So look, we'll jump right in. Um, so I suppose, Devon, I'll start with yourself. I suppose, can you talk to us a little bit about the, the journey, really, what you're doing now and what, what brought you here? Yeah, so um, I started here in Fairstone, or Ask Paul, back in September. Um so I've been here a couple of months, uh, starting to find my feet. Um, but I suppose the career in financial services didn't really come around until probably a year before I was, I was set to retire. I didn't really know what direction I was going in coming up to the end. Um, I knew I had to pick a direction because I knew the end was coming. Um, so I suppose the first thing that I well that I got advice to do was was to go and talk to a career coach. So I was talking to a career coach about how what direction, how to pick a direction to go, basically. And the first thing that she said to me was, you need to go and get your finances sorted because um, rugby, you do get a good enough salary, but it's not a soccer, it's not a soccer salary. You, know, you, you, you need to pay your bills, you need to pay your mortgages when you finish. So it's pretty much, you don't want your salary to be dropping off a cliff. So the first thing you need to do was, was, was sort my finances. So I, I had just followed Paul online, the Ask Paul um, Instagram page, and I, and I saw that he had done a, a podcast before with Jamie Heaslip. So... I knew I had a, a bit of confidence in him, so I just reached out to him saying, here, can I set up a consultation, basically? And uh, I went in and did my consultation. You do a whole uh, cash flow modeling, kind of it, it maps your whole life out from when you're, obviously from now until you're 100 years of age and, 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 and puts everything into perspective. And it was brilliant. I was absolutely blown away by it. Blown away by it. And then um, we just built a relationship. And then, and then Paul just kind of suggested, he was saying, have you ever thought about, doing anything in the finance, financial world after you're finished? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then he said, well, here, if you, you, might, you, might, you might look at it. There might, there might be a position here. And, and actually coincided with, I was in um, Rogue Players Ireland, our union had set up. We, I, I started studying for the QFAs as well from, from my last kind of year and a half. So I um, started studying for the QFAs. Um, there's the Qualified Financial Advising and was working with Paul for the final year and then kind of all came to fruition here. So I took the summer off after retiring and then started in September and then that was that. Brilliant stuff, big change. So we'll, we might chat a little bit more about the transition later, but yeah, congrats on the on the, the transition and the, the change. Um, 
So Mary, look, we're going to talk a bit about kind of performance today, Mary, I suppose it's the kind of main crux of the, the conversation. Um, so I suppose, Mary, in your experience, what are the common challenges organisations face when you're trying to implement kind of high performance cultures, that kind of thing, Mary? I suppose it's about getting everybody on the same page, isn't it? It's it's the biggest challenge, you know, what's the vision? Where are you going and how are you going to motivate the people on the team to, um, I suppose, behave in a way and perform in a way that supports that vision, that supports that strategy? Um, and while there's an awful lot of talk about high performance and and you know getting a whole organization of people to perform at a high level it's actually quite quite the challenge it's quite the challenge for any ceo or general manager or or management team to get everybody on the same page and i'm sure devin you're no stranger to that in terms of um you know winning matches and um being on teams with one goal in mind, but getting everybody to do their bit all at the same time is a bit of magic. And the same applies in any organization too. It's, you know, creating that vision, um, supporting people to achieve it, uh, monitoring it, measuring it, readjusting, recalibrating, all, all of those things. It, it's, uh, it's an art in itself. Definitely. I suppose just building on that, Devin, I suppose you probably have, I say probably, you, you definitely have seen a lot of high performance behavior strategies and all that kind of stuff. Um, I suppose from your playing time, Ireland and Leinster, two very successful periods in, in, in the rugby world for both those teams when you were there. Um, and no coincidence. Can you talk to us about some of those kind of high performance behavior strategies, anything you saw during that time and how, how could they be applied to, I suppose, business when we talk about high performance? Like there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that go in towards high performance and, and kind of behaviors like there's literally every little little thing so one of the things that we used to talk about was the little one percenters as well so what are the things that you're doing that are not part of your job that are lit that, that aren't seen as well so if, if you're if you're getting your little one percenters right obviously that creates a um a good environment for success i suppose but there's 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 so many performances and behaviors as well i think when it comes to high performance, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of capability and your behaviors, I suppose. And, and I think in business, you need to, I suppose, need to focus on creating and maintaining while under pressure, the right culture to allow the winning behaviors, I suppose. And one thing we found in Leinster is culture was, was, was huge. And I think that's why Leinster have been so um, successful in, in, the, in the past while. I think when, when Stuart Lancaster came in to, to coach us, he kept on, on hitting home. The culture of Leinster is unlike any team in the world, really. Well, Leinster and Munster, and sorry, the Irish provinces, basically, because the, the majority of the players in the Irish provinces grew up there. So, like, when Stuart was saying in Leinster, I think it was like 90% of the, of the players playing came from Leinster, grew up in Leinster, wanted to play for Leinster. So that has... It, it was an inbuilt culture where in other teams he had been in, they had to try and build the culture because everyone was coming from different backgrounds and different cultures and, and different uh, different places. So it was really hard to build that culture. So one that, that was one thing that kind of stood to Leinster that everyone was from similar backgrounds and, and, and everyone had that one goal in mind, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose when it comes to, and again, this is probably in business as much as sport, I suppose there's probably an accountability kind of, thing in there somewhere as well, Devin, if you're, I suppose, there's a clear goal, there's clear functions, there's clear strategies, 
But if people are accountable for their own input and that kind of stuff, that probably makes a bit bit of a difference as well, Levin, does it? Absolutely. Like everyone was accountable for, for, for their own little jobs. I think there's obviously, there's 15 starting players in the team, but there's obviously 23 in, in the extended squad and then there's 40 in the extended after that. So there's loads of people not, not, not being picked for a specific game. And then there's 10 backroom staff, 10 coaches. So like there's literally an organization of 50, 50 people that everyone is literally held to, held, held to account. And if you're, if you're not doing your job, you're, um, you have to be held accountable for it as well. Like I think obviously there was like, there's always the dreaded Monday morning meeting when you, when you go in after a loss and it's going to be put up on the big screen in front of everyone who, who did what and, and, and who could have done what. And now it's not, it's not a blame game at all. It, it's, it's, you have to look at your, of where, of where you went wrong and how you went wrong and, and what you can do better and how will other people can learn from that as well. So it's highlighted in front of everyone, but I think everyone understands that it has to be as well. It's not a, it's not it's not a blame game at all um and that's how as an organization or a team you learn and and, and how you move forward from it and mary i suppose kind of similar question to yourself then mary when we talk about the importance of clear aligned accountable cultures when it comes to achieving goals it is vitally important isn't it and probably just as devon said there probably that continuous improvement piece is always is always important as well mary isn't it oh without a doubt because it, you know i really like the the way um devon described that you know the little one percents of improvement that people can make every time so i guess in the first instance is is understanding what your baseline is uh what are you trying to improve what are you trying to uh achieve and how do you go about instilling that sense of responsibility and accountability in the people that you manage um and that works all the way throughout an organization you know at the most senior levels you're expecting that accountability that responsibility and that continuous improvement at every level it's not just at the lower levels of an organization so i I really like that idea in a i I suppose the world of work things are structured a little bit differently and um you know an awful lot of organizations have relied on maybe annual reviews biannual reviews quarterly reviews those kind of things where they sit down with people and and discuss what's good about their performance what needs to improve about their performance uh, and all of that and there's some change in the world of work with more continuous feedback now uh, being much more popular and makes a lot more sense too there's no point in um the uh, leinster or or the irish um squad looking back a year at a time to see how you could have improved your game i presume that's an ongoing and continual process and it's exactly the same in in the world of work and i think why um we look at what happens in sport and how it correlates to business is simply because they know so much about performance and because you can see teams changing all the time uh improving and and sometimes sliding off the scale altogether and you know that's um that's just the reality for every team everywhere in every context definitely i suppose devin a lot of our listeners will be hr managers hr professionals business leaders and that stuff so if you don't mind if we could talk about the suppose the mentorship and coaching and kind of side of things so look i suppose in sports the the coaching element gets a lot of scrutiny anyone that follows the English Premiership football knows that 
managers get it, get, have quite a tough job. But I suppose separate to that, Devin, and again, in the kind of corporate context, and sorry, in the context of your own career, really more so, sorry. How important were the coaches and mentors in your career? And was there anything that kind of stood out to you um, about their styles, their strategies that was really particularly effective, you think, from a management piece? Obviously, their knowledge was there, but from the kind of team leadership management kind of piece. Yeah. Um, like being a manager or being a coach or being obviously a, a director in a company, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure, you know? And, and, and like when it comes down to it, they're the people that, that are responsible, I suppose. Um, I've been very lucky over my, over my career. I've I played rugby for 17 years. I, I was able to come across a lot of coaches and mentors and players and captains that were, were huge in, in, in my development, I suppose. Um, like I can I can name those. You know, I mean, Michael Checker was the first one to give me kind of my shot in Leinster. Um, then obviously Joe Schmidt came in. He came. He gave me my, my big shot with Ireland. Um, and then kind of Leo Cullen, I suppose, is, is huge for me as well because I played with him. And then he then he evolved into the head coach role in Leinster. So I learned a lot from him because he was of the second row as well. So I learned a lot um, in the in, in the way that he called line out specifically. I know we're not talking about a rugby, a rugby thing here, but that's a when you're when you're looking at people to emulate off. I suppose you're you're looking at similar positions. So. Uh, Leo Cullen for Leinster, and then I learned so much off Paul O'Connell with Ireland. Um, but when you look at all these leaders, they're, they're they're different in so many different ways. You know, I think there's um, each has their own kind of individual characteristics that that that, that you warm to. Um, but if you're looking at qualities of great leaders and great mentors and coaches, I suppose first of all they have to be authentic. Um, they've got to have great communication skills. Um, they're really good at aligning people to a certain cause, um, I, I suppose. And one thing that any leader does, I suppose, playing wise, is they will they do what they say they're going to do as well. Um, there's no point in talking about it before a big team meeting if they, if, if they don't do it themselves. I think they, they lose a lot of credibility. I think um, other great qualities of leaders, I suppose, um, they build trust. In the team, in the coaching teams, um, and I suppose I, they just have probably they build belief and they make performance as well as meaningful. Um, I suppose, but it, so it's and there's so many different qualities, along with so many different leaders, and it, so it's hard to talk about them. I suppose generally, I suppose definitely, yeah. But I find that's almost an answer in itself that I suppose one size doesn't fit all, and you will get different types of leaders and managers. So it's great that, that there was some sort of consistently throughout uh, and again great to get those insights I suppose Mary on the mentorship and coaching side of things Mary look a lot has changed in the world of performance management we talk about this a lot um, management styles that kind of stuff um, how important is that kind of mentorship and coaching piece when it comes to management Mary and what's kind of working well in the working world lately when it comes to performance management that might not be your your typical way we might have looked at it years ago yeah, well, I, I mean, I think the measurement piece of it has changed a lot in performance management. So, you know, there that old mantra, what gets measured gets done. Uh, but the way in which we measure people now has changed quite a lot and has changed quite a lot over my career. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about rugby, Devin, because I'll only embarrass myself on this podcast. 
But um, from a sporting perspective, you, you know, you can see the huge pressure that will be there for the coaches, the players, um, the accountability, the responsibility that people will have. It's no different when it comes to um, the world of work, in except maybe the, the media aren't so interested in it usually. Um, but when it comes to looking at um, performance and measuring it and managing it and getting the best out of people, what Devin says makes absolute sense in an organisational context, just as it does in um, in a sporting context. And that idea that, you know, trust matters. Absolutely it does, because if you want people to perform at their best, they've got to trust their leaders. Um, they need to be able to speak openly to uh, their managers, their leaders, th their peers about the things that work well, the things that don't work, the areas where the organization needs to improve overall and individuals need to improve within it. And um, how you do that will depend on each organization and what works for them. I've really, I, I suppose at Insight HR, we've thrown out the big old formal processes where we're completing documents and taking hours and hours and hours of management and employee time to, to use a performance management system. Lots and lots of organizations still do it, but it is probably the single most unpopular task that managers have every single year is if they have to go through a performance review process, document everything that someone did in the last year and um, base their salary and, um, you know, career development prospects on that piece of paper. It's such a controversial process. It always has been. There's usually appeals coming out of every, uh, you know, year's um, performance reviews. And it can be really challenging from a HR perspective to, um, you know, manage those systems well and expect that we're going to get people to perform in the way that we want them to perform. Uh, so often at the end of those conversations, the key piece about people's future and their development and their um, prospects with the organization gets dashed through because you're already an hour into the performance review meeting and everybody wants to finish up and move on to the next meeting or maybe they get stuck somewhere in the discussion. So I'm a big believer in that ongoing continuous feedback, that loop, um, that genuine discussion between people and that whole area of authentic leadership um, where true conversations, real conversations and honest conversations are have are being had with people. Mm, 100%. I suppose a, a question that is kind of reflected heavily, I suppose, both in corporate world, the sporting world, is that whole idea of keeping on to your best performers, keeping your best performers performing well, but also keeping on to them within your team, within your organization. So it's something I'll, I'll come to you both because I suppose, Mary, in, in one sense, it's this kind of great resignation, there's a lot of movement in the jobs market, but Devon on the other side of things, I mean, we see it all the time in in rugby that there's some top, top players out there and it's a challenge to always, to, to always hold on to them. So I suppose, Devon, I'll come to yourself first on that one. How important or how difficult really 
is it to keep your top performers performing well? Anything you've kind of seen from your set of things? And I suppose culture probably is a big thing about keeping on to your high performers as well, Devin, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how do you keep your top performers performing well? Um, it is a lot about to do about culture. And it is, it's about, it's kind of about success as well. I suppose I've always found that once you, once you win, you want to keep winning. And it, it breeds uh, it breeds that, that that desire to win some more, I suppose. And they're your top performers in a team are your top performers for a reason because they've done so much training, they've had, they've done they have the mental capacity and, and, and they're there for a reason. Um and I think if you have a team of top performers and it, it kind of alludes back to the, the culture again, if there's a culture of winning that's what they want to keep doing. I want to keep striving towards it. Um, so, but you realize that obviously there's different levels of performers as well. Do you know what I mean? You've got your top, top lads and there's, there's always going to be your mediocre lads and, and, and your, your, your less, your, your not so good performers as well. So there's always going to be that obviously different scale levels of, of players and, and, and people and teams and stuff. So the, the trick is trying to get them all to perform together and, and, and get them all focused on going that going towards that one goal. Um, I don't know if I have a one singular answer for you, to be honest, because I've never coached. <laughs> and I was never really the, the captain in the team, to be honest. I was kind of one of, one of the foot soldiers. Um, so... Don't really know to be honest. Um, again, it, it's just kind of breeding that culture of, of winning, I suppose, and, and, and trying to instill that in everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, Mary, there is probably an element in there from what Devin is saying. It's about acknowledging high performance as well, Mary, isn't it? When you're trying to keep on to your highest performers, but also instill that level of performance across the board, across teams, functions, sometimes huge organizations. It is, it is a bit of a challenge, Mary, isn't it? Ah, it really is because, you know, sometimes we reward our top performers organizationally by overburdening them and overworking them and throwing time and time again everything at somebody who'll knock it out of the park constantly for you. So, um, you know, it's a common story that I hear that uh, how do we reward our top performance performers? Yes, we pay them well. Um, yes, they're revered and respected within the organization, but do we mind them and do we treat them well um, by measuring and managing workloads? Often they're the people who are working the hardest in the organization and getting burned out and, and leaving on the basis that they're their hard work is rewarded in such a way. So there is a balance um, when it comes to managing people and recognizing as leaders and coaches and managers how it is that we manage our teams. And, um, you know, it, it's really important that, you know, there's a place for everyone. Everybody isn't, isn't going to be that star player on your team. Um, but you have to understand and recognize where people sit, what you can do to improve performance incrementally, um, how you treat the top people um, that are performing time and time again for you, and, and how you, you look after and mind people generally in the workplace. That is, you know, such a huge area, that whole area of people's wellness and care from leadership. 
um, when it comes to people's health and well-being too. 100%. And look, I suppose final question to yourself, Devin, and just one I want to acknowledge, obviously, because it's it's been a, I'd imagine, quite a transition from rugby to, to, to finance. Um, and again, we have a lot of um, listeners, I'm sure, who are either considering moving around careers, moving jobs, that kind of stuff. But so then from your own experience, um, how did you find that kind of transition from rugby to the career you're in now? Any kind of final advice you'd give to people who want to make make a move, make a switch? Um, how did I find it? I didn't find it too bad. Um, I suppose mainly because I had a path I was on and I knew what I was going to go into and I kind of had the job, my, the job lined up with my last kind of final year playing. So I didn't find the transition uh, that bad. Like you, you do hear of some... Uh, lads who are retiring or even forced to retire through injury uh, who, who find the transition very tough and the lads who find it tough are the ones who don't have a direction and don't know what they're going to do and um, so I found being prepared and, 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 and having and having something to, to, to focus on um, was was huge was, was great for me um, it took a lot of the pressure off um, and it took um, it kind of obviously alleviated all my fears, I suppose. Um, so I, I, the, men, mentally, I found the transition quite quite good. And I think it was good as well because I, I had done rugby for so long. I did it, for, did it for 17 years. So I was really looking forward to the next chapter of my life. Had, uh, well, I have two young kids, of a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So I was really looking forward to spending some more time with them and actually, actually having weekends and being able to book holidays and stuff. So to be, to be able to do that is, re- is, is really good mentally, I suppose. Um, would, would I have any advice for anyone thinking of transitioning? I suppose it's, it's different for me because it was a forced transition. <laughs> no one's going to play rugby for, uh, for the rest of their life. Um, so um, I suppose the thing, the advice I suppose that I would give is be prepared for it. That's what I what, that's what I found because because I was obviously studying for the year leading up to the retirement. I was doing the QFAs and knew what knew where I was going, so I was kind of prepared for it. So if you're thinking about it, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just pack it in with with, with nothing in the back pocket, I suppose. Um, so no, I suppose you don't have to know 100 what you're going to do, but just having an inkling of, of, of maybe, but and being pre- uh, prepared. And I think obviously preparation is is huge in every aspect of life, I suppose. 100% and something that kind of flows through that whole performance piece as well so look thank you Mary and Devon for a, a very insightful discussion uh, great to get some insights from somebody who's performed at the highest level over the years uh, and Mary who's as well had a lot of insights from our clients from a lot of companies on on how they manage performance so look really delighted that we could get some time with you both today so appreciate it thank you thank you very much uh, both for your time uh, thank you to everyone for listening we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast so don't forget to click subscribe and join discussion on our social media channels And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Devin, and thank you, Mary. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insidehr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, 
or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.